The South Congress Podcast is a lifestyle show that sometimes crosses over into mature territory. The views expressed are those of the hosts and guests who come from different backgrounds and experiences. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody, episode four of the Goose Down. My name is Cameron Hawkins. I am the host of the South Congress podcast, co-host of the Pro Wrestling Torch East Coast cast, a regular contributor and content creator for Pro Wrestling Torch. Um, yeah, here we are, episode four. Um, I want to thank everybody who's listened so far. To anybody listening for the first time, um, we have done the first three episodes. I'm sorry, the first three books of the uh, R.L. Stein classic children's horror series, Goosebumps, um, started with Welcome to Dead House, and then Stay Out of the Basement, and then Monster Blood. So um, you'll find half-hour episodes on this feed covering those three books. So Say Cheese and Die um, is one of the stories that ends up being repeated a bit later in Say Cheese and Die Again in the 44th Goosebumps book. Um, kind of the mythos of the story, it covers a, a camera that seems to take pictures from slightly in the future that depict bad things happening to whoever the subject of the picture is. Um, kind of similar to a story that was in the uh, Nickelodeon series, Are You Afraid of the Dark?, um, where they had a gremlin that would appear in like different types of media and make bad things happen to whoever the subject was in the uh, still picture, moving picture, you know, whatever it was at the time. So these stories kind of hold a uh, kind of a similar mythos, kind of a similar antagonist, if you will. Um, probably the biggest difference of this story is how many characters it actually covers. Typically, we've had the one protagonist along with their sibling. Um, First couple of books, it was a little brother. Um, In Monster Blood, it was actually one boy and then uh, a female friend that he had made. So it kind of covered two people throughout the whole story. You know, this one actually had four uh, protagonists even though we kind of follow uh, the character Greg throughout the whole thing. So you have Greg, you have Sherry, you have Doug, and you have Michael. So Greg kind of being the uh, the primary character, a lot of the book covers what happens with uh, his friend Sherry, who ends up disappearing for a while, um, and also his friend Bird, who ends up having like a like almost a tragic accident in the story. And they're accompanied by um, 
their friend Michael, who is kind of a lesser role throughout the story. So, again, it really talks about evil science, which is what we've seen a few times. Um, if you look at the very first book, Welcome to Dead House, that one covered like a power plant accident that ended up affecting the small town for a really long time. Um, Stay out of the basement. You dealt with a parent who was a botanist who took things too far, who ended up creating a, uh, you know, ended up creating basically monsters through the science. Um, Monster Blood was a little bit different in that that was kind of dealing with really heavy magic. But then you kind of get back to, well, actually, this is a good combination of both, kind of a science and magic situation uh, brewing here. Um, I found that it's kind of two antagonists. Like, one, it's kind of the inanimate object of the camera, and then it's the creator and controller uh, of the camera. So let's just kind of go through the story and talk about um, some of the themes I picked up on, um, some of the ideas I probably created out of nowhere as we go through it. So... This takes place during the summer in a small town called Pitts Landing. And immediately when you know, we're covering this group of kids from a small town, I know something evil is going to happen. I think of It, which is you know one of my favorite books growing up. Great TV movie. I thought a really good remake of a movie. And then the second part of it's coming out this summer. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, but the kids are trying to find something to do. And they have a few different ideas of what's going on. They finally agree to go to the Kaufman house. Um, that's supposedly haunted. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever played uh, Resident Evil 3. I don't know if it's necessarily the best game in the series, but uh, kind of the theme that it introduced was that the antagonist, the nemesis, could pop up at any time, kind of chase you throughout the level, and you'd have to escape, even though you faced him at the end. And that's really how I internalized the character of Spidey, which is like a strange homeless guy that just seems to like be a derelict, seems to wander around everywhere. Um, but he's known to hang around the Kaufman house. And so that does kind of come up a bit, a bit later. So they're going through the basement of this house and, you know, kids being kids, they're looking through every nook and cranny. Uh, Greg actually ends up finding like a vice grip. That when he turns it, it opens a hidden compartment in a wall that has this camera. Um, immediately, without really inspecting it, he just realizes it's kind of old and different from any camera that he's used. So he asks his buddy Michael to pose for a picture. So Michael kind of does a pose up against the, uh, the staircase railing in the basement. When Greg takes the picture... Um, the railing actually ends up breaking and Michael falls down and like twists his ankle. Um, they hear kind of a noise outside and it's actually this guy, Spidey, who's coming through. So they get out through the back exit. Um, after they're clear of him, they look at the photo and the photo shows Michael falling instead of leaning against the railing. With everything that happened in the moment, you know, you're getting chased by this homeless guy. You're in a building you're not supposed to be in. They didn't put a whole lot of thought into, you know, why this picture may have come out this way. Like, it strikes them as something wrong, but they don't necessarily internalize, like, what's actually happening. They can't process it in the moment. And so Greg ends up taking a few pictures with the camera that day. 
um, his dad gets this brand new car, which is like a station wagon. And, you know, being that age reading the book, you know, this book came out in November of 1992. So I'm, you know, six, seven years old. Um, but, you know, I've never thought of a station wagon as a good car. Like, I think if I go back then and somebody would have to check the tape on that, I think that's around the time like the TV show Viper was out. So that was my idea of a good car, the Viper car, the red one or the silver one. Um, so like his dad's like excited about a station wagon. But, you know, being 33 now, I understand and appreciate the idea of like a family car that you can travel in. Don't ask me what I currently drive. So. He takes a picture of his dad's car and the car is wrecked in the picture and like he can't make sense of it. Um, He takes a picture of his brother, Terry, who's his older brother. um, And the picture is him on a baseball field looking scary. Now, like Terry's this, this really cool character where He's the older brother, but he's very straight and narrow by the books. Like he has a nice summer job that he shows up to that happens to be near the baseball field. So whereas, you know, Greg and his friends are more typical kids, his brother's really no nonsense, uh, really kind of sticks by the book, which is, you know, ends up coming into play later at how fast he actually responds to kind of an emergency. So Doug um, is kind of the athlete of the group and he is a baseball guy and Doug's nickname is actually bird because, uh, you know, he's kind of tall and slim. I kind of has a long nose. And so he looks like a bird. It's interesting. They couldn't really, or maybe really didn't pursue a kid in the televised version of it. That looked like a bird. They just went with like a good looking 13 year old kid. Um, so before the game, Greg takes a picture of Bird and he's laying on the ground. His eyes are glazed over. His neck's leaned back at like an unnatural angle. Like reading this, you know, as a kid and even as an adult, it's just like, oh, like this kid is really messed up. And like, how is this going to play out exactly? And like, nobody's taking it seriously at this point. And he's like, yo, the camera's broken. And everybody's like, wait a minute, like what? He's like, no, the, the, the camera's broken. Um, but nobody really processes it. So during the game, a ball does hit him um, as he's, and it's funny, he's not even uh, batting. Like he's turning the base and the ball hits him. And it makes him fall out to the ground and his neck bends at that unnatural angle as he predicted. And um, like his, Craig's brother, Terry, actually does end up running to see kind of what's going on um, because Greg believes that his uh, Greg starts to think that there's something wrong with the camera and as he's trying to process it Terry comes running from his job and finds out that his dad was in a car accident and the car had been totaled and something that actually does happen earlier after he takes the picture and he's nervous they do end up going on a car ride and they almost get into an accident and so nothing bad actually happening i think actually like eased greg's tenses or like you know eased his senses a little bit made him a bit less tense um and now 
that the accident's happening. Like things are just getting that much worse for him. This book really has one of, I think, the best covers, especially from the early Goosebumps books. Um, It's of a family at a barbecue, but they're all skeletons. And it seems like that doesn't really have anything with the book until you get to this nightmare that Greg has where he has a dream that he took a picture of his family during a barbecue and that they're all like living skeletons at that point. He still can't convince his friends that there's something wrong with this camera. And he gets invited to Sherry's birthday. Um, and she's like leaning up against a tree. And he's like, no, I'm not taking your picture. No, I'm not taking your picture. And he finally takes the picture. And she's not in the picture at all. Right? So the party's going on. And like, even though Sherry's three best friends are guys, um, she does have girlfriends as well. And it's funny. The majority of her friends are girls. And so when they find out there's no actual like activities planned for the party, the boys immediately dread that they're going to play truth or dare, which means they have to do a bunch of kissing, which the girls like, which they're not fond of. And so they're still kind of at that age. Unlike in uh, Monster Blood, like these kids are still at that age where they're not super interested in girls. They want to do everything but that kind of stuff. So again, he takes the picture and she's not in the picture. And so as they're all like outside playing, like out in the woods, kind of behind her house, Sherry disappears. Nobody can find her. And I don't mean disappears for like an hour and then pops back up. I mean, for days at a time, like the police get involved. Um, nobody can figure out what's happening. And as they're trying to like process everything, Greg and Bird start fighting over the camera because like they're my friends gone out of nowhere. Like how do we rationalize what's going on? And as they're struggling, uh, Bird accidentally takes a picture of Greg, and it shows Greg with Sherry being chased by like a dark figure. Even though he's worried about this, like immediately he has hope again because his friend's back in the picture. So this is when he starts to kind of make some bold moves. He tears up the picture that he took of Sherry. And an hour later, she pops back up at her house. And I couldn't even say an hour later. She actually pops up after he tears it. She calls him an hour later and says, I've been back for an hour. So she comes back out of nowhere. She doesn't know what happened. So, I mean, we'll kind of get into a little bit of the science of what may have occurred. But, you know, he pops up on her. He's like, yo, my friend's back. And she doesn't know what happened. As they're having the conversation, Spidey shows up and he starts chasing after them like what happened um, in the picture. So as they're running away from him, a neighbor actually sees them and scares him off by threatening to call the police. And so he does run away. So our foursome gets back together. Sherry, Greg, Bird, Michael. They decide that this camera is too dangerous. And they're like, yo, we're going to put it back to where we got it because 
we can't have this thing out in the open. It's kind of a similar thing with the monster blood in the previous book. Like we can't let other people get a hold of this and have to go through this. Like this thing is evil. We need to minimize the damage. So let's put it back where we got it. So they sneak back into the Kaufman house. They're in the basement. They're going back to the hiding place. And Spidey corners them and he lets them know what happens. So he was actually the scientist named Fritz Fredericks. He had a lab partner that he created this camera with. Um, and originally, it was going to be just a camera that could predict the future. Turns out, <laughs> and, and it's funny, it's a recurring theme here. Adults just betraying each other left and right. Um, if you remember, we talked about in Stay Out of the Basement, like that was a situation where a scientist got too greedy. The corporation couldn't tolerate what he did. And that ended up leading to a whole issue. Um, if you look at going back to Welcome to Dead House, that seemed to be a situation where unsafe chemicals were pushed out you know, to a community. And instead of actually addressing the safety issues, they let it get so bad, everybody turned into zombies. If we go back to monster blood, that was a situation where, um, you know, one, and you can't really say an adult, but kind of one evil spirit had to latch on to another adult um, and actually had to make them sacrifice their individuality and safety in order to survive off of them. So, People betraying each other left and right. So the two scientists created this piece of technology that looked like it was going to predict the future. So Spidey, Dr. Fredericks, was going to steal it from his partner and say, yo, I made this all on my own with no help, not trying to split these profits. What he didn't know is that the other scientist was actually an evil wizard, too. Go figure, right? Um, so. He saw this coming, and so he put a curse on the camera. So whenever a picture's taken, not only does it predict the future, it's always going to predict a bad outcome and make that happen. So, again, Spidey's greed, Dr. Frederick's greed, is what really led to this getting so bad. And it's funny, one thing that they never say is that... Uh, what happens to the other scientist? I think it's assumed that Spidey killed him based on something he says a bit later. But he says the camera, he kept trying to make it work. Like he kept trying to fix the curse that was put on it instead of just getting rid of it. And it ended up killing everybody he loved. So that's probably like uh, one of my favorite Stephen King books is the book Thinner, which is. You know, basically about American greed, but um, a man. And again, I, like I said, this is a show for adults. So a man and his wife um, are driving. She starts giving him a blowjob. Um, he ends up and, and, you know, not going to spill too many beans, but there are all types of things that would make you not be able to focus on the road. Um he takes his eye off the road, ends up hitting a gypsy woman with his car because of his connections in the city. He's able to basically get away with it with a slap on the wrist. Um, the gypsy woman's father takes offense and puts a curse on 
a lot of the people who were involved in the case, specifically on this man, he puts a curse on him because um, he was heavy set to make him waste away into nothingness. So it was at first disguised as, you know, him being able to lose weight and getting healthy ends up turning into him almost going skin and bones. He finally convinces the gypsy to take a curse, the curse off of him. The gypsy says, I'm going to make this pie. Um, when you eat the pie, it's going to speed up this waste away process. You'll be dead in the morning. And he's like, yo, um, I'm going to use this to get back at my wife. I'm blaming her for the whole situation. And the dude tells him, yo, just in this cycle, you just eat it yourself. But nah, got to let people make their own mistakes. So the guy takes the pie home. Um, instead of eating him himself, and he ends up convincing his wife to eat a piece, wakes up in the morning, his wife is dead from eating it. Little beknownst to him, his daughter ate a piece too. So his daughter dies. So you kind of assume something like this probably happened to Spidey, where he won't get rid of the camera. Maybe his kid gets a hold of it. Maybe his wife gets a hold of it. But everybody he loved died. So he ends up doing something, I guess, almost noble. Um, he spends the rest of his life basically guarding the camera and hiding it. You know, he gives up being a part of society in order to um, prevent anybody else from having to suffer through this. And here's where things change. He tells the kids that since they know what's going on, they can never escape. And he has to keep them in the house forever. Now. I understand these kids are 12 year old, 12 years old. Spidey and I whooping my ass. I'm getting up out that basement. Um, but they didn't try to attack him. <laughs> they end up uh, trying to get away from him. So they all like, you know, break a dash trying to get trying to get away. And during the struggle, his picture gets taken um, and he immediately dies from fright, which the picture actually showed. The kids do return the camera to the hiding place and they tell the police that, yo, we were messing around in the house. We found this dead guy in there. We don't know what happened. Um, so how does Say Cheese and Die go from Say Cheese and Die being the fourth book to Say Cheese and Die again being the 44th book? Another thing that's recurring in these stories is bullies. Who seem to exist in, you know, rare space and can move at any point um, because there are two of them in this book that the kids encounter early on who, like the bullies in Monster Blood, seem to think things belong to them and want to take things for themselves. And, and kind of a neat tidbit about these bullies. One of them's name is Joey Ferris. Regular name, right? What's the other one's name? Mickey Ward. Um, you know. One of the one of the great American boxers. Um, you know, if you've seen the movie uh, The Fighter, you'd be kind of familiar with him. Um, but yeah, these two kids who had been bothering the kids throughout the book, they end up breaking into the house and getting the camera, and they take their own photo. And the story ends with them waiting for the picture to develop. So that's how. <laughs> The camera from Say Cheese and Die, you know, ends up becoming a recurring theme throughout the Goosebumps series. Um, yeah, this is this book is like it was frightening in a different way because there was really no control over the events 
this is the story where the kids seem to have kind of the least amount of control over saving themselves um, because you don't know how to approach this. You can't just run. You can't just fight um, because this thing is predicting your future. I thought it was cool that, you know, even as a last resort, you know, Greg realizes, well, maybe if I just tear the thing up, that'll fix this. Like they could have made things infinitely worse, but it seems to fix things. I would love to hear like a story like this from Spidey's perspective of like the last 10, 15 years, just about him having to exist off the grid is rationale for, you know, wanting to make sure that nobody else was hurt. And hell, if he had to actually kill anybody outside of his family you know during that gap in order to make sure that people stayed safe like it's safe to assume that he's absolutely crazy at this point um but again hearing like his thought process through all this would have been cool um this was really the first book with a living breathing city like we got police we had families we had organizations, we had uh, restaurants, like this was a living, breathing city. And the fact that the antagonist was like a homeless person, like kind of talks about how this town dealt with stuff like that. Like it being a small town, I guess you don't really just, you know, you can't get rid of the homeless guy. Like he's kind of ingrained into the city. And so that's why maybe why he chose to live in that place. Uh, but that's why he was able to kind of move around as freely as he was. And even when he got in trouble, it wasn't like the police are going to come find you. It was threatened to call the police and him getting away. So, yeah, um, I think just being like a summer setting, like a living, breathing place where people were always moving around. That was the biggest difference in this book. Um, and I think it really did help to further the story. Like no other story has other cars on the freeway. Like This was a living, breathing town. Uh, so yeah, again, another good book. Scared me in a different way just because there was so little control over the outcome. Um, we're actually going to do something special with this story, though. Um, if you are a South Congress patron, um, and you can become one by going to patreon.com slash Seahawk, it's C-E-E-H-A-W-K, there's going to be a second part of Say Cheese and Die that I cover with my South Congress podcast co-host, uh, Isaiah Tristan. So be on the lookout for that. I'm going to be exclusive to our uh, patrons, but it should be a fun conversation because this is one of his favorite books growing up. Um, we do have some new uh, merchandise. We finally put up some Goose Down merchandise on our T Public store. So it's just tpublic.com slash Seahawk. Um, you're also going to find some new Pro Wrestling Torch East Coast cast merchandise. Um, for the next couple of days, if you're listening to this right when it goes up, um, you can get $13 apparel and $1 stickers. So, you know, if you like the Goose Down so far, I'm going to do something to support the show. Feel free to buy something, take a picture in it. Um, love to see uh, fans of the show in our merch. So, yeah, it's about what I have for this week. Um, again, the South Congress podcast presents the Goose Down, covering each of R.L. Stein's classic Goosebumps books. This week's book was Say Cheese and Die. And next week, we are going to have next week it's going to be the curse of the mummy's tomb so um, i hope you enjoyed this episode of the goose down my name is cameron hawkins and thank you for your time want to support the show want a specific topic comment show or movie discuss 
Supporting the South Congress podcast on Patreon allows you to dictate the conversation. Visit patreon.com slash Seahawk for details on how you can support and guide the show.